Welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve you. Uh, we are completing a series which is, is called um, The Lessons We Learn. And it is based on the fact that if you read the New Testament, you will see statements and, and, and uh, comments that have been made about Old Testament characters that reveal something about their character that maybe we didn't notice in the Old Testament. And it's kind of neat because you're able to take a look at the Old Testament and the New Testament um, at the same time. We learned about Lot, we have learned about uh, David, we learned about Abraham, we learned about Elijah, and so there's some interesting things. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to continue to, to or we're going to complete the series. We're going to be talking about the most quoted, uh, the most mentioned Old Testament character in the New Testament. And his name is Moses. Of course, that doesn't really surprise many of us, does it? Because there's so much that he is known for. He is, he is, he has seen in, in high status in, in Christianity and in Judaism as well. So this really shouldn't surprise us. And what I wanted to talk about when we talk about Moses is the fact that there are unique things that were said about him, particularly by Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and also by the author of Hebrews, and we believe that probably to be the Apostle Paul, although he didn't name himself in the book. We believe that it's probably Paul. And his story is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And for those of us who don't know, Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of known as the hall of faith. It is like the faith chapter. And it's uh, probably the most popular uh, passage or chapter in the book of uh, Hebrews. Lots of other great things mentioned in Hebrews, but this is the one that kind of sticks out. And in Hebrews, he says something, and, and so if you have your Bible apps, or if you have your Bibles, take that out to Hebrews chapter uh, 11 and keep it open there. I don't have it on, uh, on the PowerPoint or on the screen, so you're going to have to kind of keep it open to that passage of Scripture, because I'm going to be referring to it uh, a couple times, okay? And this is what it says. I'm going to be starting at verse 23, Hebrews 11. Verse 23, and it says this. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were, afraid, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now let's remember that at that time, the king of Egypt had ordered every child, Egyptian child, to be killed because they were becoming too big. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, it says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now, if, if you have any knowledge of Scripture, if you have been a Christian for any length of time, you have probably heard a sermon on Moses. You have probably studied his life. Either that or you watched TV and saw the Ten Commandments growing up or whatever, of all the Bible characters, he is one of the most famous. But the one thing that I wanted to kind of bring out to you today, if I could, 
is what I call the essence of faith. Faith is kind of a big thing in the Christian realm, don't you think? You can't really get away from it. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, because he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's kind of a big scripture, don't you think? You want to please God? You need to exercise faith. That has to resonate. That has to ruminate in your soul. And the thing as I thought of as I was trying to prepare this week is the thought that everybody has faith. Everybody has faith in something, whether it is yourself, whether it's the economy, whether it's your money, and say, well, hey, money is the economy. Well, no, there are people who have $500,000 stuffed into their mattress, and their faith is not in the economy, and that's why they have the money in the mattress, right? It is one or the other. It can be one or the other. Maybe it's your abilities. Maybe it's in another person. The Bible teaches clearly that everybody serves a God. As a matter of fact, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 11, it says that God has put eternity in the heart of everyone. You can't get away from it. This kind of pursuit of happiness, or it's more than happiness. It's like a, a fulfillment, an, an actualization of the soul, an awareness, an understanding that leads to an inner tranquility. You know what I mean? And lots of people have lots of slogans to talk about it. You know, I remember seeing a bumper sticker, and probably you have as well, that says, you know, he who has the most toys at the end wins. That's a philosophy. You ever listen to Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way? You know, for those of you who are younger, let me just kind of give you a couple of, uh, a couple of verses. And now that the time is clear, so I... Face the final curtain, my friend, I say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. I did it my way. I like the last verse. It says this, for what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. What is your faith in? What is the essence of faith in your life? There's those of us who have inherited this faith. You were born in a church pew and you have lived every week and heard the songs. There's not a song you don't hear. You know the Christian jargon. You know all the words and what they mean. And yet at some time or another, that faith has to become yours, doesn't it? God has no grandchildren. He only has children who will trust in Jesus themselves. All I'm saying is it's an important thing. Don't you think? And some of us think there's multiple pathways. You know, that, that, that fundamentally we're all the same and superficially we're a little bit different. But if you look a little bit closer, superficially we're the same. Fundamentally, we're different. And there are those who believe that there's many pathways to, to, their, to, 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 to truth. And, and, and that truth is somehow relative. It's not absolute. But to say that truth is, is relative is actually an absolute statement. Kind of doesn't make sense to me. And there's people who are intellectual about it, and there are people who are fanatical about it. And there are people who have the pan theory, which basically says, listen, I'm not going to think about it, it'll all pan out. And there's those who, those who are fatalistic. Doesn't matter, we're all just going to die, and that's it. 
nice to meet you, sir. I'm going to go on to something else. And, and so we go on, and this becomes something that you can't escape. I found this, that the emptiest time in a person's life is when they have had a thought as to what it would be to reach the echelon and to have, to have something take place that would be so wonderful. And so they train and they do everything that they can to, to, to get there and then come to the point where they reach whatever echelon that they're on to find out that it was nothing. That there are those who in the sports world who figured if I can get to the Stanley Cup and I'm going to train, I'm going to do everything so I can get to the Stanley Cup and they go through the playoffs and, and reach it to the highest echelon, win the Stanley Cup and get up the next morning and find out that it really wasn't the thing that would satisfy us. Unfortunately, unfortunately maybe, Winnipeg Jets players don't have that feeling too often. <laughs> Anyways. And people get angry with, with Christians because, because we say there is an answer, there is a truth. Not just a truth. Don't bug me, I have my truth, you have your truth. But the thing is, it's not a truth that will give freedom, it is the truth that will give freedom. And so, so we realize that you can be sincerely, you can be sincerely wrong and you need to get this faith thing right. And God in his kindness and love interjects himself into the spiritual journey. But he doesn't, he doesn't hijack our lives. He allows us to be able to choose whether we are going to have faith in him or not. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is this essence of faith? What is it that Moses teaches us about the essence of faith? What is it all about? You have to exercise faith when Jesus comes into your life. But it doesn't just end there. Because I think that it's possible for a person to have faith, to get them saved, and then once they get saved, they never ever operate in faith again. And when that happens, and we think of the thought that without faith it is impossible to please him, what happens is our faith goes stale because we never really exercise the faith and go ahead. So what is it? What are some of the things that Moses teaches us about faith? Well, I have a few. Probably not exhaustive, but let me just start with this one. That faith gives you a perspective that others may not see. Have you found that? If you take a look in Hebrews chapter 11, you will see the fact that in a couple instances, it talks about the fact that they saw, or they looked, or they were looking for. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, 23, that they saw that there was something different about the child. That's what the parents of Moses had, had realized. And, and in, the, in the, the original story, it talked about the mother, but in Hebrews 11, it talks about the parents who had seen they had seen something that others didn't. And of course, as parents, that's just kind of normal, isn't it? But it goes beyond that. That there was something about him. It says, it says that he was no ordinary child. That he was powerful in speech and action. They realized that there was something different. They saw something that other people couldn't see. Verse 26 says that Moses was looking ahead to his reward. In verse 27, he saw him who was invisible. In verse 23, it was interesting because they were able to see something in someone else. But there has to be sometimes when God is able to allow us to be able to see. And when you operate in faith, God begins to open your eyes 
as to possibilities and things that he could do and through your life. When you look at your life, do you see a time when God showed you something? Maybe it was an inclination. Maybe it was a vision. Maybe it was a confirmation. With just God opening your eyes. And he changes your perspective when you have faith. And he causes you to see things that perhaps you wouldn't see because you're seeing through the eyes of faith. You're seeing things with God beside you, the creator of the universe. That on my own I couldn't do it, but if God is in my life and if God is working, then maybe God will allow this thing to take place. It's interesting when you think about it, doesn't it? You will either see things through the eyes of faith, or maybe we will see things through the eyes of doubt, or maybe you will see things through the eyes of fear. And that kind of leads to my next point. Faith doesn't just give you a different perspective. Faith gives you a courage you normally don't have. Now, if you take a look again at Hebrews chapter 11, when they're talking about Moses, there's a couple of words that are used quite often as well, or a couple of times anyways, it was talking about fear. Again, verse, verse 23, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Verse 27, and not fearing the king's anger. Like Moses' whole life is represented by going against the grain of that day, which required a certain level of courage, didn't it? And you will notice something, for those of you who are kind of veterans in the faith, that at every milestone in your life, everything that you have been able to have victory over, there was more than likely a threshold of fear that had to be overcome. There will always be something that will be in the way. Where are you on the fear-faith threshold? Interesting, because there's lots of things. That's why the scripture says so many times, fear not. I heard one person say that the Bible says, fear not, or do not be afraid, 365 times. That'd be interesting, eh? One for every day. I'm not too sure. I didn't have a chance to kind of take a look at that, but I thought that, that was interesting, because that is, is very much what is said. You're either afraid of the unknown, or you're afraid of persecution or punishment. You're afraid of loss. You're afraid of what other people might think. You're afraid today of being canceled. Your fear of embarrassment, your fear of abandonment. What is the fear that stands in the way? Sometimes fear makes you ask, did I actually hear God or not? Maybe not. If at anything, it will cause you to hesitate. It will paralyze you in the worst cases. Where are you on the fear-faith continuum? If you're acting out in faith, fear will be something that we'll be chasing after, isn't it? And um, I think that there's a... a popular Christian song that I hear on Christian radio, and there's a statement that says, fear, he is a liar. Remember that, that song? It is, that is true. If, if not, it is a great exaggerator, isn't it? I remember the, the acronym for fear, F-E-A-R, false events appearing real. And Jesus' perfect love casts out that fear. The truth is there is a difference between fearlessness and courage. Fearlessness allows us to do things without fear. Courage allows us to do things despite fear. And the truth of the matter is this. There are some things in terms of steps of faith 
that I kind of do scared. I don't know. I, I would imagine that the, the Moses' parents were probably a little bit afraid having a child in the house when they knew that they were trying to kill that child. I can't help but think that there are times where, where I didn't have absolute fearlessness. But the thing about it is that if the level of faith is greater than the level of fear, then I think God can still work and minister into our lives. If fear threatens to shut you down, faith should be the thing that raises you up. That's the other thing, that faith will give you a courage that you don't normally have. But there's another one, that faith uh, makes you do things that you can never do. If you're using words to describe faith, one thing that you have to say is this, is that faith is active. It should lead you to actually do something. Faith is the thing that moves you ahead. It is the thing that allows you to accomplish things. Having faith and an act of faith moved Moses ahead, and it is that same faith that will move you ahead. It inclines you to do something. It progresses you forward. It is the impetus of our action. And I find that faith is also allergic to status quo. It's allergic to apathy and complacency. And you can talk faith. Faith makes you move ahead. You can talk faith, but it is, is it really faith until you step out? I think that's an important thing. I think that's why Moses is in Hebrews chapter 11. Because his faith caused him to actually do something about it. And if you take a look at the scriptures, um, if you take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, and it talks about the faith chapter, it says this, by faith, such and such did something. By faith, an action happened. An action took place. And faith has to have an action to be considered faith. Does that not make sense? You ever notice, just by the side of you, if you're taking a look at Hebrews chapter 11, and if you have a chance, read it. Read Hebrews chapter 11 when you, when you go home, if you're doing devotions. Read that chapter. Because it mentions a number of people. Mentions Noah, it mentions Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and, and Moses, and the whole, whole gamut of individuals. And he says, what else should I say? Should I say something about these other characters? And in those other characters, there's a fellow named Barak. Now, for those of us who don't know the story of Barak, it is in like Judges 4 and 5. And what happens is there's the Jabin and Sisera and their armies, and, and, and these people were so, so strong, they had 900 iron chariots and, and that. But the thing about the story is, is that it was Deborah that said, hey, you got to do something about this. Is not God stronger than the, the Canaanite gods? And why are we allowing this to happen? And, and Barak says, well, hey, I'll do it if you come with me, as long as you're with me. Right? Remember the story? If that's the case, why don't they mention Deborah's name instead of Barak? Isn't that not strange? I believe it's because of this. Because despite of all these statements that Deborah had made, she was at a level of safety while Barak stood there in the valley and had 900 iron chariots chasing after him. See, faith is accredited to the doer. Not what is faith making you feel like. Not what proclamations do you make in faith. What does faith actually make you do? 
Does faith actually cause you to get out of the boat? When was the last time you stepped out of the boat? I know a lot of us are good at saying things. I know a lot of us can get really, really energetic and say proclamations that are so powerful. But if they stay at a proclamation, if, we, if they keep us in the boat, what good is faith? Right? Faith makes you do things that you can never do. The last one's an interesting one. Faith requires you to trade up. I at least call it, I call it the law of trade up. I don't think anybody else does. This is just my own statement. I didn't get it from a book or anything like that. But the thought is this. That God will ask you to give up so that you can go up. And even so that you can grow up. That there is always a give and take with God. That God will always ask something of you. And he will trade that with something which is better. And that makes a lot of sense to us when we come to him and we are at the end of our rope. And we need Jesus and everything and our life is in, in a total mess. And God says, I will take that mess and I will trade it with the blood of Jesus and I will give you life. Duh. That's not a hard deal to make, is it? But what happens when what we have is fine? What we have makes us satisfied. And God says, I want you to trade that in. And what I will do is I will give you something better. Times like that, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Moses' parents were required to give up their child. When we do a baby dedication, that's what we do. We give up our child. Say, God, this is your child. We dedicate this child to you. True. And, and Moses, when it said that he chose not to take on the, the notoriety in Egypt... I don't know if we really understand to the full extent of what he'd asked us. It says in verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Now, many of you don't realize this. But a lot of historians don't believe that Moses existed. And the reason that they don't believe that is because if you take a look at Egypt's history, you don't even hear of a person who is called Moses. This is just a fable. Nothing that substantiates it in, in, in history. And so what a number of people did is they took a look back, and I think that what they did is they took a look at the time when the building of the temple was with, with, uh, with um, Solomon, and they went back in time to figure out what the time was when, when there was the exodus and they realized that probably at that time, the king who had ordered the edict to kill all the, the Jewish boys, the, the, the Hebrew children, was probably Tutmos the first. And so as you take a look at that, and you find out that his daughter uh, was a girl which, which was named Hat-Shepsut. Hat-Shepsut, that's it. Hat-Shepherd wearing a suit. Hat-Shepsut. That's how you remember it. That they figured that she was quite, quite um, young when this event had happened. And so there was another brother, which was Tutmos II, but he was not well. And as a matter of fact, when he died, Hatshepsut had taken over as what was called the regent. 
And there was, a, there was a, another child that was like three years old. And so what she was, was she was, she was the, the person who was ruling in place at that time. And then she came up with a plan that she said that, that the gods had somehow shown that she was to be the next pharaoh. And it worked. And she ruled as pharaoh for over 20 years. And, and what had taken place was that, that because she knew that the, the issue of being a male and, and, and that, that many of the statues of her that exist have her wearing a beard. She's a female wearing a beard. She's a, the bearded woman, Pharaoh. And, um, and she is known for making a number of huge contributions to Egypt. One of the most successful times was under her rule. She was the first one to take Egypt on, on expeditions and to be able to begin to do trade and, and all of these things. And what happened was there was an assistant. They feel that this assistant was maybe her lover because he wasn't royal. He just kind of came from an ordinary group. And he was her chief advisor. And he was also the tutor to her child. There are actually, uh, they have found um, uh, relics of statues of these things and and so they figure, well, it must have been someone that she was having an affair with. But this person also went out of history at the same time as the Exodus. We don't hear from him. And his name wasn't Moses. It was Senanmut. And they figure that this was probably Moses. And at a time, what took place... When that first king died, she was the one who had taken over. The thought was that Moses was going to marry her daughter and he was going to be the next pharaoh of Egypt, perhaps. There will be people who would disagree, but it all makes sense. Isn't that funny? Isn't that a peculiar thing? Is that interesting to you? So let me get back to my original story. This is what he had to give up. This is what he said no to. It wasn't just he kind of had a nice little seat there in the corner of the throne. Chances were that he had a very influential part and perhaps being in the highest part of Egypt. And he says no. Now my question is, how do you trade up from that? That's the highest you could possibly be in the world at that particular time. But his thought is this. I can have all this and it still means nothing. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And there's something to be said about what we call the trade-up. That in faith, God will always ask you to give something up. And he will always make what you get back better. Thing is, do we believe that? God is always calling me to trade up. But what has happened when I hit a level of satisfaction? When I hit a level of satisfaction, I say, God, I don't want to go any higher. I'm happy the way I am. I don't want to trade up. And your faith gets stale. You lose out on the things that God has for you. And when you stop and consider this, from very day one that you accepted Jesus, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you're listening online and you don't know Jesus, God is asking you, to trade up. He's taking a look at the fact that, that we are sinners. We can't make ourselves good enough to get into heaven. We are hopelessly lost without him. 
And so you are stuck at a fact that you are for a lost, here for a lost eternity. The default is not heaven. The default is a lost eternity. And Jesus in coming and dying on the cross and paying the price for you is wonderful. But what he asks you to do is he asks you to trade up. You have to sit there and say, I will give up my life for him. And it continues. So the question I have for you, what does this all mean? What is the essence of faith for you? Because God is always asking us to exercise faith. Why? Because that's what pleases him. It is impossible to please God without faith. What's the crossroads you're at in your faith? What's the challenge or the crisis that you're going through that requires faith? What is God showing you? What are you seeing that others are not seeing? What is the fear that's holding you back? What is the courageous thing that God is putting upon you in your life, in your business, in your family, in the direction that you're going, in the ministry, whatever it is, whatever part of your life, what is the thing that God is saying to you? You're all talk about that. You're making bold statements about that. Yeah, you're saying all these huge statements of faith, but when are you actually going to do something about it? When are you going to actually act out in what I'm calling you to do? What is he asking you to give up so that you can go up, so that you can grow up? Most of all, for many of us, you asked Jesus into your heart a year ago, a decade ago, three decades ago, whatever. Or maybe you're just at the threshold. Have you stopped? Have you stopped stepping out? You made a step to ask Jesus into your heart, but now you're at a point where God continually asks you to come out. Is there a point where God is challenging you to step out again, to do great things for him again? to move in your family again, to move in this church again. Amen? God, I just pray that you will do something special in the hearts and the lives of people. Wonderful people who love you with all of their hearts. Lord, I just pray that we do not get so comfortable that we stop exercising faith. We stop stepping out. God, you've just called us to continually grow in you by exercising this simple thing, which is called faith, trusting in you to go out and make a difference, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.